Hey, welcome to the Saints Church Glastonbury Podcast. My name is Brett. I'm the pastor of Saints Church. And you might be wondering, what's up with Glastonbury and Glory Hills and Highlands? Well, those are the names of our locations, named after the neighborhoods that they're in. We're in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We'd love for you to join us sometime if you're live. And in person, you can find us on YouTube and through the podcast. Uh, We've got an incredible message today from my wife, Pastor Desiree, as she speaks God in my own image. I'm excited to share this morning. We've been talking uh, over the last number of weeks uh, about the holiness of God and the glory of God and um, what is his name and, and the overarching question sort of being, who is God and, and what do we believe, what do we really believe about who he is? Because it's one thing to say it with your mouth, but it's another thing to believe it in your heart. And what you believe in your heart translation translates into what you do and how you live and how you speak, right? So it matters what we think and what we believe. And uh, when we're talking about the idea of who is God and, and what do we believe about him, uh, I actually have come to realize that part of, of how we answer that question is actually determined by whether or not we're committed to knowing him on his terms and according to who he re- reveals himself to be. His terms, who he says he is. And so if you'll turn with me to Exodus chapter three, we've sort of been camping out in Exodus over the last number of weeks, not necessarily intentionally, but it's been a really neat thread through, um, through everyone who's been sharing in this series. Um, In Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 11, um, and we'll read through to verse 15, um, God is is, um, speaking to Moses, and he's speaking from a burning bush, which is not normal, okay? He's speaking from a burning bush, and he's telling Moses, this this guy who's just been in the desert, in the wilderness for a long time, kind of a a loner, and he's... um, God is telling him he's going to be the one to go and free the Israelites who have been under Egyptian control. They have been living in slavery for years and years and years. And God is saying, I am going to use you, Moses, to deliver my people from the Egyptians. And, uh, and, and what we find is that Moses is pushing back a little bit. Um, so if you've ever had the Lord speak to you and ask you to do something and, and you feel... Um, or you push back a little bit, know that you're not alone. Moses did this as well. Um, the, the, the end result is not about whether you push back. The end result is whether or not you're choosing to be obedient. Um, that's what matters. And so in verse 11, uh, starting in verse 11, it says, but Moses protested to God, flat out, nope. And uh, he said, who am I? to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested again. He said, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, 
the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Listen, when he says that, it means we're supposed to remember something. My name to remember. I am who I am. I am who I will be. I am who was, who is, and who is to come. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, I am who I reveal myself to be. Jackie Hill Perry in her book, Holier Than Thou, which is a fantastic book, by the way, says, how we live is the evidence of what we believe about God. If Lord, we serve. If creator, we're humble. If savior, we trust. All of the above wasn't discerned without help. It was communicated through the world and the word. The problem with our nature is that it corrupts our minds, inflates our egos, meddles with our vision, and darkens our understanding so that when God decides to tell us anything, we determine its integrity. We determine what he says by how we feel in that moment over who God has revealed himself to be. So the first question I simply have this morning is, do I live based on who he says he is or on who I decide he should be? Um, now I, uh, am a parent. I have two boys, uh, Everett and Kingston. They are eight and 11. We talk about them a lot. Sorry, boys. Uh, sometimes they're okay with it. Sometimes they're not okay with it. Most times they're okay with it. This time Everett, who I'm going to share about in a second is okay with it. So just so you know, I have his permission to share. Um, any parents out there who have kids that like Lego, anyone in the room, kids like Lego, or, or maybe you're not parents and maybe you're not a kid. You just like Lego. That's fine too. Hands in the air. Let's see them. Be proud. It's okay. Um, so uh, my boys both really love Lego. And, uh, and what you should know as a, as a parent too, this is sort of parent hack. Um, when it's your kid's birthday, you can actually go to the Lego store and they can make a free minifigure. Yeah. There you go. Nice little tip for the morning. So on their birthday, you can go and you're like, this feels weird. I shouldn't be doing this. Is this okay? You can go up to any of them, um, uh, anyone working in the store and just say, hey, it's my, it's my child's birthday today. Can we make a, a, a minifigure for free? And they will say, yes, you can. And you go to this little station and you build a minifigure. Well, uh, over the summer, Everett had his birthday in July and, um, and uh, he said, mom, one of the things I want to do for my birthday is I want to go to the Lego store and I want to make my own minifigure. And, uh, and I have him with me here today. This is Everett's little minifigure, which you cannot see, um, but he's very nice. Looks, looks like Everett. Um, and uh, and the, the cool thing is, is that you can go to this station and you can pick, you can create your own, whatever you want. You can pick the face and the head, the head, whatever, whatever expression you want it to have. You can pick the body, you can pick the legs and whatever clothes they're wearing. And you can pick all the accessories. You can pick whether they have a pet, you can pick their crazy hair or a hat, whatever you want. You can pick everything. In other words, you get to build what you think is best. You get to build whatever you want. You get to build your own figure 
according to whatever image you have in your mind. What happens when I am who I am is not who I think he should be or who I want him to be or it it doesn't seem like he's being who he should be. It's actually incredibly easy to slip into building our own idea of God and who he is according to our own likes and preferences and thoughts and feelings. Like a mini fake. We just build your own. Why is it so easy? Well, as Jackie said in that quote I read earlier, our nature, it corrupts our minds and inflates our ego and meddles with our vision and darkens our understanding. We forget that God is God and we are not. We are not. And daily we, we are faced with situations and circumstances and life and life happens and things happen and, and ideas, things happen and we have the things happen that have the potential to sway and distort our understanding of who God is because our mind and our emotions are easily swayed and corrupted. Anyone else live on an emotional roller coaster where it's just up and down and how you feel about God, depending on where you are on that roller coaster, dictates who he is to you in that moment. And so we actually constantly need to be assessing what are we thinking and feeling about who God is. Sometimes our mentality and our ideas, they shift without us even realizing it. And we allow our ideas and how we feel to build up in our minds our idea of who God is and what we believe about him. And the problem is, is that the goal of the enemy, whatever you want to call him, the enemy of our soul, Satan, the devil, listen, it started in the garden. It started with Adam and Eve. His whole goal is to plant a seed of doubt or to create an inaccurate picture in any way he can so that you'll stop believing, stop trusting, and stop following God, our creator. He will do whatever it takes to throw you off, even if it's just this tiny little seed planted that says, oh, but, but God didn't do this, so he's not like this. God didn't heal in this situation, so he's not healer. God didn't answer my prayer in the way I expected him to, so he's not my provider. God didn't give me that job that I wanted and thought was perfect for me. So he didn't provide for me. So that's not who he is. And all it takes is a little seed planted from a life experience, from a situation to start sort of corrupting or or changing or altering even just a little bit our idea of who God is and who he says he is. All it takes is a little seed. And from what I have observed there are just some seeds that are more likely to cause us to question or alter our view of God. And and we need to be aware of them so that we can catch ourselves. This this is for anyone and everyone. This is for believers who've been a believer for a very short period of time and believer who has been a believer for all your life. It doesn't take much to plant a seed to shift something in the way you think about God and the way you see him. 
And we have to constantly be assessing and adjusting back, correcting, course correcting back to who he says he is and who he reveals himself to be. And, and I think sometimes we look at people in scripture, we look at Adam and Eve, or we look at the Israelites here very specifically today who are in the desert uh, after they've been um, freed from, from captivity, from, from slavery. And we think after all that they saw, after all the ways God revealed himself to them, all the obvious ways that he revealed himself, after the supernatural provision, all the plagues, which by the way, it's really interesting to me. There were um, multiple plagues, right? That the, the Lord rolled out. Do you know that each and every one was actually sort of a slap in the face to each and every one of the Egyptian gods that they served? Each plague actually was sort of like meant to address and be like, well, I'm bigger than him and I'm better than him and I can do what he can't do. Ra, the God of the sun, what does God, what does our God do? The one true God, he makes the sun, he makes it dark. No more sun. Yes, your God is not so strong. So the Israelites are seeing all of this. They're seeing the plagues. They're seeing the power and the strength and the amazingness of God. The I am who I am, God. So how is it that they could rely on anyone or anything else? They walked through the Red Sea and then they watched a whole army get decimated behind them. They made it to the mountain of God, which God said was going to happen. They got there. Just as he promised. And after all that, how could they not know who God is And how could they deny or doubt his unfailing love and faithfulness? How, right? We ask ourselves how. But they did. If you turn to Exodus 32, I'm going to go a little bit further. Exodus chapter 32, verses 1 through 8. This is only a few months after God spoke to Moses from the burning bush and then the people get rescued and they're protected supernaturally and they're liberated and they're camped, they're camped out at Mount Sinai. And at the mountain, Moses goes up to meet with God. And apparently that meeting took just, just a little while. It's a bit of a long meeting. Anyone ever been in a long meeting that just took a little bit too long? Seemed like it was too long. Exodus 32, 1 through 8, it says, When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this guy, Moses. We don't know what happened to him. He brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, Take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought us out of the land of Egypt. What? 
Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he builds an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow we will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged. Oh, they indulged in pagan revelry. The Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people, your people. Notice how he didn't say my people. He says your people. You know when, it, you know when you're a parent and, and your kids are doing something great, it's like, oh, that's my kid. But if they're doing something not so good, you're like to your spouse, that's your kid. That's not my kid. That's your kid. Well, that's, what, that's sort of what, what God is saying right here to Moses. He says, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly, how quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are our gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And we read this and we think, I think we often have the audacity actually to think somewhere in our hearts, I would never do that. I would never. I would never do that. That is crazy. That is ridiculous. Why would they do that? We might not build a literal golden cow because that would kind of be weird. But that doesn't mean that we don't build up in our own minds ideas of who God is. And like building a minifigure, we create God in our own preferred image and likeness. And in reading this account in Exodus 32 about the golden calf, I started to see some things that translate to us today. I call them the seven seeds. And guess what? There's seven C's. So there's seven seeds, seven C's. I'm going to use alliteration today to help you remember this. The seven seeds. And then these are ideas or things that when they are planted, they cause me to become a little more susceptible, just a little more likely to adjust my idea of who God is or to doubt who he says he is. The first one is this, convenience. Convenience. Why do I say that? Well, in Exodus 32, the people said, the people saw how long it was taking. It was inconvenient. They were inconvenienced by how long Moses was taking. This is not convenient to me. This is not what we signed up for. This is not, I'm not good with this. I'm impatient. This is inconvenient. And as soon as we let that inconvenience and that impatience become the focus of our attention, in that moment, we have, we have the opportunity to decide is God who he says he is? Is he going to do what he said he's going to do? Am I going to trust that he has revealed himself to be who he is? Or am I going to start questioning his timing? Am I going to start questioning the God who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the one for whom time, he is beyond and above time? We are finite. We are limited by time. He is not. So inconvenience or not, can we trust that he is the God who is not limited by time? Can we be patient? 
convenience. My convenience matters the most. Actually, it doesn't. Number two, comfort. Comfort. In Exodus 32, again, it said, make some gods who can lead us. This is the seed that says, my comfort is the most important thing, and I want something tangible that I'm comfortable with. I want to be able to see and touch and understand what's leading me. I don't like being uncomfortable. And I don't like not understanding or not comprehending what God is doing. Guess what? God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. I actually think above your thoughts. My thoughts are actually, newsflash, better than your thoughts. It's not about my comfort. Sometimes the Lord actually allows us, just as an aside, to be a little bit uncomfortable. And it's an opportunity for us to choose to trust him and to let him lead and guide and direct every step. Comfort. Third one is confusion. You notice they said, we don't know what happened. We have no idea what happened. He just went up there and he disappeared. And I don't know if he's ever coming back. Maybe he died up there. We don't know. I'm so confused. Like, why would God lead us out of here and take us to a mountain and take his, his guy, his favorite guy up the mountain? And, you know, he's dead there now. And we've been left here in the desert. And I'm so confused. We don't know what happened. This is the seed that, that gets thrown in when things are going on around us that we don't understand and we get confused and perhaps there's maybe some unmet expectations and we find ourselves facing the unknown with no explanation and no timeline and we don't know what happened. God, I don't know what happened. What happened? And it doesn't make sense and it shouldn't be like this and now I'm going to question everything. Now I'm going to question everything you said. I'm going to question everything you've done because this one thing did not happen in my time. It didn't happen the way I saw fit. It didn't happen according to my expectations. And I'm so confused. As soon as that seed drops, we start to question. Who is God in my life? Is he good? Is he faithful? Does he love me? Has he left me? Confusion. Fourth one is culture. This is a big one right now. Culture. You know, see, Israelites said, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I think the Israelites were more affected by Egyptian culture than they perhaps realized. Because while they believed in God, they were surrounded by Egyptians who worshipped many gods. And we're seeing right here the influence of being surrounded by all these things that are counterfeit. 
And it shows that, that what gets seeded into us by what we see, by our society, by our culture, has the ability to influence and impact our ideas of who God is and what we need and, and what we turn to and what we rely on. You see this so clearly. We live in a current culture that says my constructed idea of who God is, if I'm going to choose to believe that there is a God, is that he's a God of love. He's a God that is full of of grace and he'll let me do whatever I want. It doesn't matter if I'm doing something that's contrary to him because I'm going to just choose to leave out the part that he is holy. I'm going to leave out the part that he is righteous. We don't get to pick and choose. God is love. He is full of grace. He is full of compassion. He is also holy. And he is also righteous. And you don't get to pick one or the other. He is all. And sometimes that's hard for our finite minds to understand. But he is all. And we have to be careful what aspects of of culture find their way in. Number five is contentment. Notice they indulged themselves. They, that's a, gotta like that word. They indulged. They went all out. This is what happens when pleasure is a priority. My pleasure is a priority. And I have to be content and I have to feel good and I have to, I have to enjoy my life. And it needs to be exactly what I want it to be. And this seed says that I will only be content when I can do what feels right and do what I want. And we can be tempted in those things to change our idea of God to align with our priorities and our desires. But remember, God is unchanging. We don't get to change him according to our needs and our wants and our desires. He is who he says he is. He is who he reveals himself to be. Number six is the complacency seed. It says, how quickly they turned away from the way I commanded them to live. Complacency says that I'm, I'm good. I'm going to ignore God's word. I'm just, that's, that's not, is it, that's not important. And, and the problem is when we're complacent and we, we stop living in this word, when we stop living in the truth and absorbing the truth and absorbing the revelation of God on every single page, the problem comes is that we, we lose the standard of what we hold them up against, of what we hold every idea and thought and imagination up against. When we ignore the word of God, we lose our standard and our conviction and we lose sight of what he said and who he has revealed himself to be. And that causes some trouble. Last one is the creation seed. You think, what is that? 
they have melted down gold and made a calf. And this creation seed says, I'm going to create a solution to my problem myself. I can do it. I can create and come up with and solve my problems. I can create it. I will create a God according to my idea, my wants, my desires, and to appease my emotions. I will create what I want. I will be the author of my life. And I will do what I want to do, how I want to do it. Seven little seeds that drop throughout our days, throughout the situations and circumstances that we face, but they all have the opportunity to alter how we see God and the truth of who he is. And we live in a world that permits and actually encourages now adjustments and alterations of all kinds in order to appease our likes and our dislikes, our preferences and our comfort. Look at Starbucks. You ever go to Starbucks and order or, or hear someone order something just really crazy? I actually looked up some of the craziest orders people have ever requested, just for fun. The stickers were like this long. And uh, I'm gonna try and read one of them. Let's see if I can get through this. Uh, venti, five shot, iced chocolate, almond espresso, no ice, two pumps chai, one pump peppermint syrup, three pumps raspberry syrup, one pump vanilla, one pump pineapple ginger syrup, one pump classic syrup, cinnamon powder, three pumps hazelnut syrup, one pump sugar-free vanilla, one pump additional dark caramel sauce, and I can't even read the rest. That was one order. How many alterations and edits to that one order can you do? So how about this one? I'll take one big God who always provides and always protects, but never asks anything of me and leaves me alone, who's all about love and comfort, but, but we can forget that holiness part. And I'll get an extra drizzle of miracles on top because I like those, but no church, no money stuff and hold the sacrifice because those bits are messy and uncomfortable. How we like to pick and choose. We like to decide what parts we like and what parts we don't. And sometimes the only way we see those is actually by how we live. There are a lot of alterations and additions and changes we can make to a lot of things today, but we cannot add to, adjust, change, or reimagine God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Revelation 22, 13 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We cannot change or redefine the unchanging God of the universe. Matthew 16, 13 to 17. It's Jesus talking to his disciples, and, and it says, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I am? Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And so they said, they, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and, and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said, he said to them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And listen to this, this is, this is so important. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. 
meaning. God is not understood or known by mere knowledge and reason. You can try all you want, but you're not going to be able to figure him all out. But by his revelation, we gain understanding. Flesh and blood does not reveal who he is, but the Father reveals himself to us. Our understanding is so limited. What does that mean? It means that we need supernatural help to understand a supernatural God. It means that we, when we come to his word, we need supernatural help to understand what's being said, what he says about who he is, what he says about what he can do. That's why we have the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you come into this word, you can actually say, Holy Spirit, would you reveal yourself to me? Would you show me who you are? Would you increase my ability to understand who you are? Because I need to know you for who you are. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. He already took the first step. We know that. But in other words, come closer and I will reveal myself to you. Come closer and I will show you who I am. God wants to reveal himself to you. He wants you to know him. Isaiah 52, 6 says, But I will reveal my name to my people and they will come to know its power. Do you want to know the power of his name? Do you want to see the result of speaking the power of his name? I do. And at last they will recognize that I am the one who speaks to them. John 14, 21 says, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my father will love them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Exodus 33, Moses says to God, show me your glory. Show me who you are. Do you reveal yourself to me? And do you know that he does? And so today, as a church, we ask, Father, that you would show us your glory, that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would see and know who you are for who you say you are, not for who anyone else says that you are. an everyday encounter with God so that he can continue to reveal himself to you each and every time. Colossians 1, 15 to 18 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Hmm. How often do we think about the things we can't see? Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. 
he is first in everything. In Jesus, he has revealed God to us. We know who he is. We know who God is by who Jesus has revealed himself to be. We know who he is by what his word says, what he reveals about who he is and how he reveals himself to people throughout scripture. Sometimes we think, well, that's for them, but that's not for me. No, he wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to show you who he is. We live in a in a build what you want, be what you want society. But we can't leave it up to the world to teach us who God is. That's his job. To parents in the room, I just have to say, you cannot assume or leave it up to the world to teach your kids who God is. If you want your kids to know who God is, you want them to encounter him, you need to create space and an atmosphere and pathways for them to be in his word, to be in his presence. Let them see you going to the Father. Let them see you seeking his face. And sometimes I think we, we as parents, we put pressure on ourselves and we say, well, I can't do it. I don't know how to teach them. That's, that's, that's up there. That's kids, man. That's their job. That's their job. No, actually, no, it's your job. They're here to partner with you, it's your job. But you can take the pressure off. You don't need to be a scholar, you just need to be a follower. You don't have to know it all. A follower is passionate about drawing near to God and getting into his presence and getting close and allowing him to reveal himself to you. And let me tell you, your kids are watching. Your grandkids are watching. Your friends are watching. Your coworkers are watching. People are watching. You do not have to know it all. You do not have to be a scholar. You just need to be a follower. The very basic truth of it is we need our Heavenly Father to reveal Himself to us, to reveal who He is. And in order to do that, we need to be in His Word, in His presence, spending time with Him, looking at who Jesus is. And we need supernatural help to understand a supernatural God. You are listening to the St. Church Glastonbury podcast. I'm so thankful that you are here with us. If you want to connect with us, if you have a prayer request, if you just like to reach out, you can text us right now. You want to connect to the church? Text the word hello, H-E-L-L-O, at 587-400-2010. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, text the word Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 587-400-2010. We'd love to connect with you online at St. Church ca have a great day everybody we're so thankful for you and remember the best is yet to come <laughs>